The book of Joel, um, man, it's gonna be fun. We're kind of blitzing through books now uh, that we're in the minor prophets, these shorter books. We're gonna, we're gonna be done with the Old Testament here in just a short amount of time. Uh, but I'd like you to turn to Joel chapter two for today's study. Now in, in Hosea's book, you and I, we saw that amazing book and what an illustration, you know, the prophet marrying a prostitute. And as she's sleeping around, unfaithful to Hosea the prophet, Hosea's walking around weeping and the children of Israel are like, what's up with you, Hosea? Ah, my wife has been an adulterous wife. And they're like, well, what's that all about? And he says, well, so too, you Israel has been, you've been the adulterous wife against God. And it was this open, blatant illustration to the children of Israel of their sins against the Lord. And what a horrible and sad story. But even in the book of Hosea, we saw the Lord wanting to redeem and save, and, uh, but the people wouldn't have it. And the sad story of Hosea is they all went down in their sins. So that's the book of Hosea. Uh, good warning to us to repent. But in the same way, we're gonna have the, a similar deal where the children of Israel during the prophet Joel's ministry, and we'll talk about the timing and all that on Wednesday, but um, instead of Joel being an illustration like Hosea was, Joel is gonna have something to work with that's an object lesson, but he's not the object lesson himself. The object lesson of the book of Joel? Well, as it turns out, it's an army that God sends, but not an army of men. It's an army of bugs. Isn't it amazing that God can use whatever he wants to challenge a nation? I mean, think about that, like Pharaoh back in the Egyptian days, you know, most powerful king on the earth at the time. And even when Moses came and said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, who are you and who is your God that can save you out of my hand? You see, Pharaoh thought he was the biggest thing that ever happened. Now they had chariots and powerful army and weapons that were fairly modern for those days. And so what does God do? He takes the Egyptian army and brings them to their knees with what? Bugs. He bugged them and he bugged them. And finally, Pharaoh gave in. Uh, used flies and lice, frogs like we talked about last week. Remember when Pharaoh wanted to spend one more night with the frogs? We saw that last, I think, Wednesday. Um, but all that to say, uh, the Lord can use whatever he wants to bring a nation to their knees to repent. But what can he do for us individually? And that's the thing, when we read the story of Joel, it is to the nation Israel, but we can again learn about what God's heart is for his people. And we are his people, the church is also. Uh, we're, we're grafted into the vine of Israel. And so we can kind of learn from these lessons too. So what are the bugs that um, Joel is dealing with? Well, they're locusts. Um, did you know that right now we're dealing with a, uh, a plague of locusts right now in the world? They're calling it the 2019 to 2021 locust infestation. And this is footage from parts of Africa and um, other places around the world. These locusts are over three inches long. Um, and uh, I should have brought the audio with me on this because it's not like a buzz, like a bug. It's more like a, a low kind of, when you're hearing these locusts fly around, they're so big. They're like these little miniature helicopters flying around. And um, they're so thick that people are trying to just, you know, survive. But the, the, the part of, of having bugs everywhere, this kid's trying to go to school. It's kind of a famous picture uh, of an African guy trying to get to school. Um, um, right now, this plague is huge. This infestation is uh, an outbreak in East Africa and also the Arabian Peninsula and parts of the Indian subcontinent. Um, it's the worst they've seen in 70 years. Uh, and those regions do have locust plagues often. Uh, Ethiopia, Somalia, India, um, and the plague began in June of 2019 and it's been steady uh, ever since. 
Now, the thing that's kind of interesting about this is these, these people around that region of the world, they've tried to, to deal with these locusts because it's causing massive famine in that region of the world. The, the locusts strip anything that's green, uh, their gardens, their farms, their crops are just completely destroyed by these. These, these, uh, these little animals just eat up everything in its path. And so because of that, famine is rampant in uh, par- all, all over parts of Africa and even in India and what have you. And it's because of a little bug that God um, is gonna send here in the book of, of, of Joel. We're gonna see these, uh, <laughs> don't you love it on a giant screen? Some of you I see, some of you look pretty squeamish out there. <laughs> some of you are actually covering your eyes. That cracks me up. That's great, I love it. <laughs> I think I'll just let it roll for a while here. Um, just as sort of a nice little uh, object lesson for our, our th- okay, I'll let you off the hook. Um, so um, in, in New Mexico, by the way, uh, radar showed millions of locusts a mile deep in the air over New Mexico. And we don't get plagues of locusts in New Mexico all that often, but um, this uh, website called The Vein, which is sort of a meteorological uh, website, they were all stunned. And the, the meteorologists in New Mexico back in 2014, this is a while ago, but one of the more interesting situations here in the United States, the meteorologists were looking at the radar, uh, the Doppler or whatever, and they said, what's going on in New, in New Mexico? Because they knew the sun was out, there were no clouds anywhere, but they saw this on their radar and they didn't know what it was. Uh, and they thought, and they even called the weather station people and said, what's going on out there? They said, we're being overrun by locusts. It was a plague of locusts that showed up this brightly on the radar. And what's even more interesting, if you go to the website, it's kind of fun. They show that the, the, the depth of this, you know, hundreds of miles wide, but it was 5,000 feet deep in locusts. Like they're locusts flying up at the 5,000 foot level. That, like that's amazing, these bugs. Now, the people in Africa tried to spray their locust problem that's happening right now, and it seemed to have just made them mad. That's all they found with the African plague of locusts. We somehow, I don't know what they sprayed on these bugs here in New Mexico, but they were able to douse this group out fairly quickly, and that's why you didn't hear much about it. Um, but, but a plague of locusts is something that you and I, here in Portland, Oregon, we're so blessed. We don't have you know, hurricanes or tornadoes. Have you seen what's been going on in Kansas? the last few days, 270 miles of total destruction of a, a tornado. It's, it's so sad to see, um, you, you know, watch the footage, just you know, thousands of houses just gone. And hundred, over a hundred people they believe are dead. They're still finding bodies in the, in the mess there in Kansas. So we should be praying for those people. Um, but you know, here in Oregon, we're pretty blessed. We, we talk about the big one, maybe the big earthquake that's gonna happen someday. And you know, uh, California's gonna fall off the map. Uh, uh, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, uh, that's funny. Um, but you know, some people say there's gonna be a tsunami because of the big earthquake that's gonna happen. It's gonna flow into Portland and um, you know, and there's all this stuff. Uh, maybe Portland needs a bath anyway, I don't know. But, um, uh, but all that to say, we, we, um, we're, we're pretty blessed here in Oregon. But the reason we have to kind of get into the mind of the Jews who have this plague of bugs. Now in chapter one of Joel, uh, verse four, it explains, it says the palmer worm, whatever it leaves behind, the locust will eat. Whatever the locust will leave behind, the canker worm will eat. And whatever the, cat, what the canker worm leaves behind, then the caterpillar. Now that's the way the King Jimmy puts it in the King James, but the New American Standard, uh, which is a, a, you know, a lot of people love that translation as more of a scholarly uh, linguistic um, 
excellent translation, but they actually go into what these certain bugs do. Uh, the, the gnawing locust that gnaws at things. There, there's a, a palmer worm or a gnawing locust that actually eats wood, leather, uh, plants, sticks, uh, beams. Like these, these palmer worms will eat just about anything. They just kind of gnaw on it. And then there's a swarming locust like the ones we saw in the pictures that swarm around. And they're not as quite as destructive as some of these others. The canker worm is one that creeps on the leaves and the branches and just eats um, all greenery. And whatever the canker worm leaves, then the caterpillar comes along and munches away. And, um, and that's the problem. Israel is in a place of total devastation because of this plague of locusts. And as it turns out, God sent this plague. God says, this is my army and I've sent it over to you, Israel. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know. Uh, God doesn't you know, make us sin. And people get confused on this one. You know, Will God send us difficulties? Sometimes he does here. Um, you see, whom the Lord loveth, he does what? He chasteneth or chastens. The, the word chasten means gives a spanking. Um, you know, and the Bible actually teaches this. And some of you were raised to think that spanking your children, and most people spank wrongly. If you, ever, if you ever wanna hear a teaching on spanking, I've done teachings about what biblical spanking looks like. And, and a lot of people spank abusively and wrongly. So I'll put that caveat in there. But as the Bible says it, if you spank, bear the rod, you hate your son. That's what the Bible says. So, so like the Lord, the Lord will discipline his people. And he sends this plague of locusts as sort of a spanking to the Jews who had been in rebellion. And he wants for the Jews to let this spanking be a wake-up call, these locusts. And now their crops are gone. They're gonna starve out there in the middle of nowhere because of the locusts. And the Lord says, unless, unless you repent, and then the book of Joel gives some really good detail on how to repent. What do you do when you feel like the Lord is purposefully correcting you? Have you ever felt bugged by something? I wonder if, if some of the things that bug you are actually the Lord saying, yeah, I sent those bugs. Your boss at work, man, he really bugs me. Um, maybe the Lord put him there for a real purpose to bring you where you need to be. Maybe it's that family member that irritates you, or maybe, maybe it's you know, a, a Christmas song that drives you nuts. What's the one? Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That's like the worst Christmas song in the world. Even if you like the Beatles, forget it. Like somebody should just hack that song up. Anyway, I digress. That one bugs me. I wonder what the Lord's trying to show me there. <laughs> um, Joel chapter two uh, tells the people of Israel, here's what you're gonna do um, if you wanna get things right. You know, the, 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 the locusts are the, the correction tool of God. So what do you do to fix the problem? And uh, he gives us some good detail. And we're gonna see that uh, in four little uh, sections of this chapter. We'll look at the whole chapter, um, you know, on Wednesday night but we're gonna just kind of look at little pieces of it uh, uh, this, this, this morning. So uh, Joel chapter two, we start with verse 12, where this is the beginning point. What do you do? Well, he, he argues that we should repent. The very first thing you gotta do when the Lord is sending the spanking, or you're feeling like it's time to fix something and you sense that something's off in your life, the first thing you gotta do is repent. And we see that in verse 12. It says, therefore also now, saith the Lord, Turn ye, that's, that's the word repent really. Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. 
and turn to me, the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Now this last phrase, the King James throws people off because they're like, God has to repent of evil that he's gonna do? Well, the word there, repent, is a, a, a tough translation. It's better, the better word that some of your newer translations you know, translate, it's to relent. Um, the Lord is, is pressing in, weighing heavily. Just like, remember when David was still in his sins, Psalm 32, David said, oh, the Lord's hand was heavy upon me and my moisture turned to the drought of summer until I confessed my sin. Um, that's what's happening here. The Lord is pressing on the Jews with these locusts. And so they need to repent and see that the Lord is merciful and gracious because he will relent uh, of the, and then the word evil. Does God do evil things? Well, that's the problem. We know there's no evil in God. So what would, what, what's it talking about here? If you would, this sort of the evil of the punishment of pain, um, sort of the, if you would call it evil, it's maybe better um, the judgment of, or the infliction of a little pain for the purpose of correction. And that's what the Lord is doing here. Um, and so, you know, people that say, see a contradiction in the Bible, the Lord needs to repent of the evil that he was doing by the plague of locusts. Well, uh, if you look at the original language of the Bible, if you read it in the Hebrew text, it says that the Lord would relent of the judgment that he was pouring out upon his people. Uh, there's no evil in God. Are you guys with me on that? It's important that you see that because uh, you'll get, you know, these college professors with their cardigan sweaters and pipe puffing saying con contradictions all throughout the Bible. And this is one that they like to bring up along with others. But it's, it's not, you just, you just have to go to the original language. Well, all that to say, um, we are to repent, uh, it says here, to turn to the Lord. Now the word repent is a military term that we see that's used all throughout the Bible. Old Testament and new. Uh, military term meaning to do an about face. To do, uh, change your mind, to change your direction, uh, and that's, that's what we're supposed to be in. And here he gives us even more details about this idea of repentance. First, he tells us when we should repent. Um, and this one seems like a no-brainer, but oh man, it's like we talked about last week, how human nature is to, to just put stuff off, especially when it comes to our sin and repentance. But when are we supposed to repent? It says right in the very first phrase of verse 12, therefore also now. Now is the time to repent. Why? Um, have you ever had a mom, you know, stop that right now. The Kmart mom, I used to call it the Kmart mom back when the Kmart, you'd see the flashing blue light and the mom, stop that right now. And, she, and she'd say it so many times, she'd start saying the word now kind of weirdly. Stop it now. Whack, 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 whack. That's the wrong way to spank, by the way, out in public. And, but, but I digress. The, the thing is, is the Lord saying, stop it right now. Well, I think he's not just being irritated by you, but he wants you to stop because guess what? Your sin is hurting you, just like these locusts. The Lord's saying, hey, now is the time. Uh, do you wanna have locusts keep going and keep stripping all your lands and properties? Or do you wanna go back to fruitfulness and blessing? And the Lord says, right now is the time. Why would, it, why would he say now? Because he's mean? No, it's because he's, not, he's saying, I wanna bless, bless your socks off. Check out verse 13 where he says, and turn to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Man, what a great thing. The Lord's saying, stop doing that stuff now so that I can bless you, so that I can reward you. Now is the time for repentance. And if you're being sort of plagued by your own sinful behavior and you sense that stuff you're doing is causing uh, you know, heartache and pain in your life, when do you repent? Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. 
For, forget the sin, dump it. Um, you know, if we put off repentance another day, we have one more day to repent of <laughs> and a day less to repent in. Like we should do it now. The Lord wants us to do it now. But not only does this section of scripture tell us, you know, when we should repent, but also number two, how should we repent? And the answer is right in the next phrase. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart. You know, the Lord wants not a half-hearted repentance, sort of a, eh, okay, I know I did something wrong and yeah, I'm sorry, Lord, I'll never do it again. But in the back of your mind, have you ever been repenting uh, to the Lord? And you're like, I'll never do it again. But in somewhere in the back of your mind, like, yeah, I probably will. I probably will do it again. Oh, I'm gonna repent for now, but eh, someday I'll probably go back into it. Um, there's an old saying, many people use mighty thin thread when they're mending their ways. Are you one of those people? Um, where you're, you're, you're kind of like, oh yeah, I'm Lord, I'm sorry for doing that, but you have every intention of going back into that. The Lord says, no, I want, I want your whole heart. With all of your heart, uh, you know, a wholehearted repentance. Now this gets really tricky because um, when it comes to repentance of sin um, and we still have a plan to sin, we can look really like we're uh, seriously repentant. Isn't it an interesting thing, um, the appearance of repentance, but the heart's not in it. Um, God's calling out Israel, by the way, in uh, verse 13, when he says, look what he says in verse 13, and rend your heart and not your garments. What's he saying there? Well, we don't do this anymore. So at least I don't think any of you rip your clothing when you're upset. Uh, maybe you do, uh, but the Jews do that all the time, even to this day. If you go to Jerusalem and you see them, a funeral, you'll see people ripping their clothes. Um, they've done it for centuries over there but it's an outward sign of how uh, you know, full of anguish they are. And, the, and man, the, the Jews, when they mourn, man, remember Jesus went to that place where they hired a bunch of people, just professional mourners, to go and weep and wail because of death. The Jews are really into that you know, outward expression of, of anguish. But the Lord says, you guys, rend your heart or rip your heart, not your clothes. What's he saying? He's saying you can have the outward appearance of you know, repentance and ripping your clothes all, you know, but, but, but the Lord's saying, I need your heart. You need to repent with all of your heart. It's much easier to repent of sins that we have committed than to repent of those we intend to commit. And man, when you just hold that little corner of your heart saying, ah, yeah, I repent, Lord, but you plan on doing it again. There's an example, you know, maybe you guys know the classic A-B comparison is David and King Saul. Um, both sinned. Saul was chasing after David to try to kill him, even though David was God's man. Um, when David finally catches up to him and, and gets, cuts the robe, remember the story, and David says, I could have killed you, Saul, but I'm, I don't wanna hurt you. And Saul said, oh, my son, David, I'm so sorry. And he wept and he fell down, oh, forgive me. And man, that looked like repentance. But after that story, David ran off and hid himself again in the caves. Why? Because he kind of sensed that maybe all that show of emotion was not real. And as it turns out, like 10 minutes later, Saul's chasing him down like a dog again because he wasn't really repentant. He looked repentant, weeping and crying. Now on the compare and contrast, David, who had done horrible things when he committed adultery, murdered the woman's husband, Uriah. And remember when Nathan the prophet calls him out and says, you have sinned and done this thing. And David does this. He doesn't rip his clothes and he doesn't say, oh, I've sinned. He just says, I have sinned against the Lord this day. That's all he says. You're like, where's the crying? Where's the virtue signaling? 
Where, where's the ripping of the clothes? But David didn't do that. Well, how do we know he was really repentant? Well, because of Nathan the prophet's next words. David says, I have sinned against the Lord this day. And Nathan says, and the Lord forgives you of your sins. Because that was real repentance as it turns out. What a tricky thing it is to, to really recognize what real repentance looks like. And by the way, I think this whole thing of virtue signaling is something that's gone crazy in our culture where we like to appear to care about things or really make sure everybody knows what our opinion is about you know, this or that or the other. And, and, and yet, what are we really doing? Is, is our heart really behind it or is it just more of an appearance? And that's something the Lord says, you know, man looks at the outward appearance of, 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 of uh, people, but God says, I look at the heart. He knows your heart. So he also knows your social media, your Instagram account and, and what that world is really not but he also knows what's going on in your heart. And that's what the Lord's saying, rip your heart, not your garments. I worry that we've become really into appearances and the way we look and our appearances when the Lord says, no, I I can see what's going on in your heart. So we, you know, when should we repent? Right now. How should we repent? With all of your heart. But then thirdly, we see here in verse 13, what direction we should go. He says right there, turn ye unto the Lord your God. You see, that's the problem. When somebody repents and they don't turn to the Lord, they're headed for some other problem. You gotta turn your attention to the Lord when you repent. Otherwise, you'll end up in some other sin. You repent and then you turn, but turn all the way, 180 degrees, the direction you were going was away from the Lord, you and I should turn our direction completely to the Lord. What an important thing that we're supposed to do. Turn ye to the Lord your God, it says. So we repent, number one. Number two, uh, it says here, we should regather. You see, the people of Israel stopped gathering in the name of the Lord. They were just kind of on their own. During this time of Joel being the prophet, they never gathered anymore. And listen to what happens here in verse 15. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heaven, uh, pardon me, the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? One of the signs that God is still in their midst was that they were supposed to gather. And there's, a, there's sort of a, a little bit of a cracking of the whip here from Joel when he says, man, I don't care who you are. You, still, you might be a breastfeeding mother. You still need to gather. You might be a, a bride and a bridegroom in your honeymoon. Get out of the bride chamber, come gather with the, like there's no excuses here. He says, we need to regather with the people. They'd forsaken that. So the first step is to repent the second step was then to gather together and, and, and the Lord says, and this will be the sign to the other nations and other people of my glory and my powers when you gather in my name. Isn't it interesting that where we're at in the Bible is often where we're at in life. And I'm concerned about uh, the current condition of the church around the world, not just here in Portland or in America, but all over, you know, people are not regathering. Why? Because of the fearful, horrible coronavirus. And everybody's saying, you're killing people if you gather. Um, boy, if people did a study, uh, you know, we've been meeting for a couple years uh, in this, you know, church, and 
man, it's amazing. Like, yes, coronavirus is real. I've had coronavirus. My wife had it badly. I had to take her to the emergency room. Uh, I'm not a denier. I know it's real. Um, But are the numbers really what everybody says it is? And and boy, I'm not inviting anybody to do a study on AC Creek, but it is amazing. Um, You know, we've done a few coronavirus funerals and it was heartbreaking. You know, a couple of them were good friends of mine. Only a couple in the last two years. We've done dozens of other funerals for cancer and other things that are way more prevalent than, than, than coronavirus here at Athey. But if you listen to some of the people out there, Fauci and, and, and CNN and CDC, you'd think we'd, we'd be a death cult here. Like after church, you guys should be crawling through the doorway, oh, good service, best friend, oh, and dying because of the coronavirus. But actually, we've been amazingly healthy. It's been incredible. Maybe the Lord's supernaturally protecting us or, or maybe it's that, but also maybe they're just kind of, it's what they're saying is not exactly what's really happening. You know, um, a, a nation that I know and love well is Israel. I've been there, you know, a lot of times. But they're an interesting study because they've locked down more than any other country in the world. They're on their fourth booster shot. Um, everybody in Israel got shot. Everybody got the uh, Fauci ouchie. <laughs> everybody. And they're on their fourth. And, and we were planning to do an Israel trip with Athey Creek uh, in 2022, November 2022. But you know what? Here they are on their fourth booster and they've closed their country down again because they're doing horribly with the coronavirus issue. Like it's a little weird if you do the study and, and I challenge you, don't just, don't just read you know, uh, like uh, certain news. You gotta kind of spread the love and kind of do some real research. And what you'll actually find is some of the more clamped down, locked down countries, cities, counties, places, they're some of the ones that have done the worst. And some of the more open groups have done really well. I would say Athey Creek as a church in our little microcosm here, we've done amazingly well and the Lord's blessed us. The reason I say that is because there's still people bunkering down in their houses, totally shaken in their shoes. Um, you don't believe me? There's still people that come to church. And they, like even last week, I saw somebody walk in and they're just like, wow. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, our pastors are saying, hey, what's up? What's up? You know, I can't believe you guys are actually like meeting here and with all these people. And there's, it's like they're just coming out of their little bunker, you know, and they're like, whoa, there's people out on the earth out here. And we're like, yeah, we're doing really great. We're perfectly normal too. <laughs> Look at us. Uh, <laughs> now, now uh, you know, it's funny because the narrative out there, the narrative, oh, a bunch of killers. You guys are all murderers because you're going to church. Some nice person, Nathan Greg, I don't know who, posted on the Nextdoor app. Hey, if you want to go to church, you know, come over to Athey Greek. You know, they're meeting and there's you know, no lockdown or whatever. Well, um, let me just say the next door, that group of people are like the last people you wanna do that. I'll tell you why. Because they're people that have time on their hands and they're all locked down in their houses talking about, you know, calling the police because there's a squirrel in the tree next to their house. Um, and they're freaked out about that. That's the next door out people. And, and so, uh, man, that, that little thread lit up. Athey Creekers are just a bunch of murderers. And then so the Athey Creeker took down the post, thankfully. Um, and, uh, and then so somebody posted another one just to make sure the thread continued uh, talking about, you know, the murderers there and what have you. But, you know, what's an amazing thing is, um, you know, you'd think we'd be, if, we, if, if you were looking at it as a study, um, we would have all kinds of death around us. But man, we've been really blessed and thank the Lord for that. And I, I, I just wonder if maybe 
do you think that the enemy, Satan, doesn't want people to gather in the name of the Lord? Man, uh, according to those that study such things, uh, one in three practicing Christians around the world have stopped attending church during COVID-19, according to Barna Research. Um, you know, uh, some people are watching from home. Some people are, um, you know, trying to be safe and all that stuff at home. And, and that's great, you know, but, um, but as far as people just saying, we're not watching online and we're not going to church anymore, one in three practicing Christians who once went to church now are not. So we're supposed to regather um, and get together and, and, um, and worship the Lord. And you know, it's funny how there's a lot of people who, who uh, make up excuses as to why they don't go to church. I think the coronavirus has given some people, oh, I guess we don't have to go to church anymore. <laughs> it's illegal. Which by the way, it never was, as it turns out. When we opened our doors a couple years ago, there were people like, you guys are breaking the law. And the, the truth is uh, we were not. And I like to remind people, we were just abiding by the, the constitution of the United States. And oh, how thankful I am for our founding fathers who said that the, the government cannot uh, you know, mess with the church and its ability to gather. The constitution is very clear on that one. Um, by the way, they're trying to change all that. Uh, you gotta understand that that could change. But right now, so our attorney who is great, she's really been helpful. She won some big, legal battles against the state of California. Uh, several churches, I think four churches were, uh, you, know, um, you know, being harassed by the state of California. So she did her legal action against California and the state of California, because of the constitution, had to pay each church $2 million a piece. Um, so then our attorney, uh, after getting all this harassment from our state of Oregon here at Athey Creek, they were writing us threatening letters and stuff. Um, she wrote a letter, it was real friendly. Hey, you might wanna look at our court cases we won in California. And she, she wrote, and um, you need to kind of stop harassing Athey Creek. And uh, the next week, the next week, the governor came out in a very silent little quiet corner and said, we're not gonna enforce the mandates on churches. It's funny how it was only on the bottom of the news. You know, nobody wants to admit uh, boldly uh, when they're wrong. But as it turns out, we were not breaking the law, gathering in the name of Jesus, the state of Oregon was breaking the law. And, and I think that it's an interesting thing. We're living in a day where I think the enemy wants to, in, in such a crafty way, keep people from gathering together. Whether it's fear or people, you know, believing lies about certain things. I think we need to be a church that regathers and not afraid to gather. Now I've got a problem because I'm not, I really don't want more people here. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Uh, the chairs are going back. Uh, pretty soon you'll be out in the outside gravel out there uh, with some chairs. <laughs> but but, um, but I, I'm so thrilled people are coming. But I also have to say, um, I, I would love some of our online people. Like I love the, the watch parties and I think some of those are great. Um, but I also think there's gotta be an end date where you kind of say, I'm gonna get back to church. If there's any way possible, now, some of our watch parties, there's people that live out in the desert and the nearest church is hundred miles. And so atheists kind of become their church and we try to shepherd those groups. Uh, we've even flown pastors out to say hi to some of these groups and we've baptized people in different parts of the country. And like, it's, we're, we're making a great attempt at some of these groups that are meeting that have no other options. But if you could get back to church, well, Brett, I don't know, I, I like Athe Creek and there's no church like Athe Creek. It doesn't have to be like Athe Creek. Um, look for a church that loves Jesus and believes the word of God and go there, be a part of a congregation. Um, well, Brad, I like to think of our house as our church and, and we're our own little church uh, in our house. Um, that's really nice and everything, except for one problem. The church, according to the Bible, includes elders, deacons, and bishops. 
Uh, the word bishop is episkopos, which is like a governing sort of um, uh, administrative role. And a church, if it's really a church, it's gonna have those things. Well, I don't like organized religion, people say. Um, here's your problem with that. As it turns out, God is the one who invented organized religion. We're supposed to be organized. Do you think God wants unorganized religion? We know what that looks like. Um, he wants, he, as it turns out, and I understand what people are saying, but you know, it's funny all the excuses, whether it's COVID or don't like organized religion. I like to worship in the woods, which is ridiculous because there's no people there. Um, the church is gathering, you know, that's the whole thing. And the trees don't count, Oregonians. Shout their hugging the trees. <laughs> that's, that's not it. Well, Brett, I don't like the people in the church. Man, could you be careful with that one? I'll tell you why, because guess what? The, the Bible says God calls the church of Jesus Christ the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. I don't like the church. That'd be like you coming up to me and saying, I don't like your wife, Debbie. Now, here's the thing, I just give you advice on that. Um, don't let me catch you. Because <laughs> I probably can't catch most of you, but if you're within reach, you're toast. Totally toast, I've got grip of steel. And the Bible takes on new meaning when it says the laying on of hands, you know what I mean? <laughs> Why, because man, you don't mess with a guy's bride and talk horrible about a guy's wife. That's the dumbest thing in the world. Can you imagine the people going around, I don't like the church. And someday you'll stand before Jesus and say, You're, you've been talking about my bride. I'm not sure that's gonna be much of a future for you. Well, Brad, it's not that. It's, the church is full of cliques. Oh, what a stupid argument. I've actually learned as a churchgoer for uh, all my life, I really like cliques. They're awesome. We have a bunch of cliques here. Think, we have the parking lot click. Bunch of guys and gals out there parking cars. They become really good friends. They all hang out together and laugh at the people who drive like crazy people in the parking lot and don't do what you're trying to tell them to do because they think they know more than you do and all the stuff that happens out in the parking lot. Um, but they've become a tight bunch of people because they're serving together. It's kind of what happens. When you serve together, you become friends. Well, I feel like the coffee people back there, they're just a click. They all seem to be having a good time and, and, and talking with each other. Yep, it's a great click. I love it. Children's ministry is a click. Um, now, I understand if it's us four and no more and, and people are purposefully excluding you. Well, I understand that. But Athey Creek, we're the kind of church where, you know, um, we don't want to fake and say, come and join us and we'll get you integrated into the church. Like that seems so fake and contrived to, to most of us. That's kind of not the way we roll. Some churches can roll that way. That's great. Good for them. But we'd rather you come kind of on your own and sort of engage in a real normal way. And sometimes that might take a little more work than perhaps some other churches, and we admit that. But there's something more genuine about it as well. People that say the church is full of, of uh, cliques, I, I have a funny poem that I love. It is called, If You Want to Kill the Church. Here we go. Never go to your church or meetings held there. If you do go, be late. It's no one's affair. If the weather is bad, either too hot or snowing, just stay home and rest for there'll be others going. But should you attend, be sure and remember to find fault with the work, each official and member. Be sure to hold back on your offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. And never take office if offered the post, but eagerly criticize the work of the host. If not on a committee you're placed, be sore. But if you find that you are, don't attend anymore. When asked your opinion on this thing or that, have nothing to say, just turn them down flat. Then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling all the folks how it should have been done. 
Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave the work for some other woman or man. And when you see the faithful ones work themselves sick, then stand up and holler, it's run by a click. <laughs> I, I find that to be uh, shockingly uh, actually real. But the church is meant to be this glorious group gathering around the Lord. We're not here because we're awesome. We're here because we're not. Um, and I always use this example. You know, people come in and say, I find that it's interesting. There's a bunch of sinners here. And that's like going to the oncology center at the Providence Cancer Center and walking in. And, I find it interesting that there's people with cancer here. You'd be like, yeah, that's why they're here. Hello. <laughs> Same thing with the church. The reason we're all here is because we're sinners and we need the Lord. And we come to worship Jesus and it's not about us. It's about the Lord himself. And we will regather. And even under great criticism, we'll, we'll regather. Um, I love the story of the woman who was kind of an elegant lady, kind of a first class, you know, she was from London, but she was getting ready to go on a big fancy uh, trip, but they were gonna try to camp out a couple nights at a campground in Florida. And she was trying to figure out a classy way of writing, where's the toilet? Is it close to our campsite? But she just couldn't get herself to write the word toilet. It just seemed so crude and ugly. So she said, she started you know, trying to figure out. And she finally came to that, that, she said, I'll ask where the bathroom commode is. She thought that was somehow maybe a, a little better. But even when she wrote that, she's like, oh, I just can't get myself to write it. So she wrote the, the initials BC. Now, if you've traveled around the world, you'll, there's still places that call it the BC, the bathroom commode, BC. So she wrote it that and sent it off to the park ranger there in Florida. Well, as it turns out, the park ranger wasn't a classy uh, sort of, you know, fancy dude. Um, and so when he opened the letter, he couldn't figure out what the lady was talking about when she talked about where's the BC, it really stumped him. Um, and after worrying about it for several days, kind of like, what am I supposed to answer this? What's the BC? He took it out to some of the other campers and said, what, what's she talking about here? They're all puzzled, you know? Well, finally one person, I think she thinks she's looking for the Baptist church. Where's the Baptist church? <laughs> He's like, oh, that's it. And so he went and, and he wrote a letter and here's what it said. Dear madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but now I take pleasure to inform you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite <laughs> and is capable of seating 250 people at a time. <laughs> I admit it's quite a distance away uh, if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. It was so crowded, we had to stand the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the BC so that everyone can watch and talk about this great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time and sit with you and introduce you to all the other folks. This really is a very friendly community, sincerely, Park Ranger. <laughs> oh boy, uh, uh, he's, he's the typical guy. Oh, I wished I could go to church more regularly. Um, but you know, there's always reasons. It's too cold or there's snow out or this. I think we, we, we become good at making excuses and that's where the children of Israel were in the time of Joel. So the first thing was you gotta repent of your sins now with all your heart 
you know, and, and turn to the Lord. But the next item was to regather as a, as a congregation with the priest, with the ministers. And even if you're on your honeymoon, you're supposed to come. It's really quite the radical calling to gather. And I believe the Bible gives you and I that same calling, not only in the Old Testament, in the New. Like in Hebrews 10, 24, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. By the way, if you're one of those guys saying, my church is a log out in the woods or fly fishing out on the river. Um, my question is, how are you provoking love and good works to all the people that are out there with you? Because that's part of the deal. And it says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day are we talking about? The day of the Lord. When the Lord returns, the, the sooner we get, the closer we get to the, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, we're supposed to gather even more when it comes to that day. That's what the Bible says. Meanwhile, I think the day of the Lord is really close. And a lot of the church in the world is saying, yeah, we don't really need to meet anymore. It's coronavirus filled and we don't wanna get a disease and die a horrible death and, and the fear and all that's gone crazy. Meanwhile, the Lord says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some. Thirdly, we're called here to then not only repent, regather, but then rejoice. It says that in verse 21, check it out. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Now the Jews knew God was capable of doing good things because of their history. But one thing you need to recognize right here is that the good things haven't happened yet. The locusts are still buzzing in their ears and the Lord says, gather, repent, but then I also want you to rejoice. And the implication is before you even see the locusts gone, before you see your crops growing once again, he says, fear not and rejoice for the Lord will do future great things. Verse 22, be not afraid, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit and the fig tree, her vine do yield their strength. Be glad, ye children of Zion. Um, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and it will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. Speaking of all the prosperity the Lord wanted to do for the people of Israel. But first, before they had the answer, they were called to rejoice. When you come to church, you're like, eh, I don't know if I feel like singing these Christmas songs. I've got bad things going on. I'm bugged by this or I'm bugged by that. And so you're a little less prone to singing and worshiping. But did you know that we're supposed to rejoice before we see the answer? Um, that's kind of the way it goes here. They were supposed to rejoice. They were supposed to gather and rejoice even though there's bugs still buzzing in their ears. But then I love the, the kind of the final R out of our four R's here. Um, and it's maybe the most famous verse in all of the book of Joel, uh, verse 25 of chapter two. And the word is, he restores. After we repent, we regather and we rejoice in the things of the Lord, then he restores. Look at verse 25. And I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. There's no question where this army came from. God says, I send it. Those are my soldiers, those bugs that are bugging you. And the Lord says, man, I will restore unto you the years. Oh man, some of you have messed up your lives because of your sin. 
and you know it, and there's wounds and scars and hurts and family members that are disgruntled or angry at you or won't even talk to you. Maybe there's a path of destruction in your past, but as you repent and you return and gather with God's people and rejoice, and you, you turn to the Lord, the Bible says, I will restore. And there's a bunch of people in this room who can say, yep, that's me. I messed up a lot of things in my life. But God is faithful to restore the years the locusts have eaten. First Peter talks about that in kind of a similar way in the New Testament, but God of all grace, I love his grace, by the way, it's just so undeserved, unearned favor. But the God of all grace who hath called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, that's the locusts, that's the plagues, that's the bummers you've had. After you've suffered a while, he will make you perfect. A better translation perhaps is make you fully matured, establish you and strengthen you and settle you. We're living in very unsettled times but the Lord says, man, if you turn to me, even after you've suffered a while, I will settle you and I will mature you and strengthen you. To him, the Lord be glory and dominion forever and ever. Don't you love that? The psalmist, he made a prayer saying this. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold uh, me with a willing spirit. Um, man, that's a good prayer. Restore unto us, Athey Creekers, the joy of our salvation. If you've lost your joy, especially around Christmas time, maybe there's some stuff you need to repent of. Repent, regather, um, and then rejoice, and then see the Lord restore the years, the locusts have eaten. I like the rejoicing and the, the, just the positive attitude the Lord's called us to have. One of Ronald Reagan's favorite jokes, by the way, was telling the story of two twins. One boy was an extreme optimist. One boy was an extreme pessimist. And the psychiatrist was trying to help these kids and he was doing a test. He showed the pessimistic little six-year-old boy a room full of toys. He said, son, why don't you go play? And he shrugged his shoulders and he said, if I play with these toys, I'll probably break them all. And man, the psychiatrist said, whoa, what a bummer. Well, the second boy, who was always the optimist, he took him in and showed him a room full of horse manure. Um, the, the boy ran in, wow, and he ran to the top of the pile and just started with his hands digging and digging. And the, the psychiatrist is like, what, well, what are you doing, son? This is horse manure. And he's like, with all this manure, there must be a pony in there somewhere. <laughs> Forever the optimist. You know, some of you are Eeyores a little more and some of you are Tiggers. Some of us have our moments of tiggerdom. Others have more of an Eeyore complex. Um, but the Lord wants us to fight against that. No matter which demeanor you have, we're supposed to re rejoice in the Lord and he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. What a glorious truth. Uh, may the Lord give us all ears to hear what the Spirit says to his church. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are, just these reminders. I know, Lord, for a lot of this, it's review, and, and we, we're told things in your word in sort of a repetition that is good, that we might be mindful and remembering the truth of your word. How I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that take heed, Lord, that we don't sit in the bugs for one moment longer than we need to, but that we'd repent and turn to you, that we'd regather and be a part of your church and be challenged and encouraged and sharpened by others. And then rejoicing, even before we have the answers. Lord, these are good admonitions from your word, but what a great promise that you will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I pray, Lord, for those two different tiers. The first level, the unsaved. People who have yet to 
confess their sins and, and believe in the cross of your son, Jesus. Lord, um, you tell us, Jesus taught us there um, in John chapter three that you really need to be born again and that whosoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. So I pray for the unsaved, Lord, that you just tap them on the shoulder, that they'd know their need to be forgiven, for the Lord to restore the years the locusts have eaten in their lives, Lord. I pray, Father, um, for the, the saved, because like David, we can find ourselves sinning, even as people after your own heart, we find ourselves making mistakes and we wonder why we're bugged. Help us to repent of our sins quickly, turn to you and regather and let you do that great restorative work in our lives. Give your church ears to hear what your spirit would say and bless these, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.